0: international business speaker, author, mentor, coach, and author of a new book, a relatively new book, called The One Team Method, How Sales and Marketing Collaboration Can Boost Big Business. And we're going to talk about that today because, you know, sales productivity is an interesting issue. I and mean, listeners, of the show notes, one of my favorite topics to talk about. But it's also an issue that's sort of clouded in uncertainty. And and my guest today, Peter Strokhorb, has developed a new I don't know, approach, I guess, to say how do we get sales and marketing to work together to boost sales productivity. So, Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Andy. Great to be here.
0: So, as you might tell from Peter's accent, he's joining us from Sydney, Australia today. So, how are, you, uh, how are things down there today?
1: Uh, things are great because I'm actually calling you from the future. So, it's already Friday here and, the, and we're in just the beginning of what we call autumn and you guys call fall. And it's, uh, it's going to be pretty warm weather today unlike um, here where you are.
0: Yeah, a little chilly here in New York today, but uh, I'm escaping to the West Coast tomorrow, so I'm <laughs> going back to the place where it's warm. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, How did you start your career and how did you get to the point where you, you know, consult with companies around the world and, and talk internationally and have written this book about uh, sales and marketing collaboration?
1: Yeah, well thanks Andy. I've um I've spent more than 15 years working for some very large multinational organizations like Sony, Canon, 3M and uh, and CSC. And throughout that time I I noticed that the sales team and the marketing don't really communicate that well with each other and they talk more about each other than than to each other. And it's it's always bugged me how that is that disconnect is really inefficient and and wastes a lot of time effort and resources on on both sides really and I decided to do something about it but before I did I actually did quite a bit of research into the subject and I found there's lots and lots of stuff about sales and there's lots and lots of stuff about marketing but there's not a lot of stuff about sales and marketing working together beyond the you know basically lip service saying oh yeah guys work it out you know and and I had this wonderful quote from the um, inventor of uh, spin selling, Neil Rackham, who read my book and and said that I have come, I've developed a, a methodology that actually goes beyond the the usual guys just work it out that the CEO says to the head of sales and the head of marketing, and it's it's really astounded me that there is no formal methodology around seemingly that actually puts the two teams on the same page and gets them working together harmoniously. Now. I, so I created the one team method that actually helps them do that. But the, the distinction about the one team method is that it's not predicated on primarily technology, because there's a lot of technology vendors that come to it from from their perspective and they say just put our technology in, put our app in, you know, put our license in, and everything will come magically good.
0: If was broken before, it's be broken after. So
1: well, there's there's an old saying that if you automate a broken process, it's still a broken process. Exactly. Um, so, so the the philosophy of the one team method is that if you have a communication problem between people, and and in this case it's marketing and sales people, but it goes more broadly than that. If you have a communication problem between people, it's not something you solve with technology first and foremost. You have got to actually address it in the people domain.
0: All right. So before we do that, I mean, let's let's talk about so the underlying premise, which is that uh, you think that a way to lift sales productivity is with this collaboration of sales and marketing. So first question I have is how do you define sales productivity? So if you're going to boost sales productivity, what is sales productivity? Because I think everybody thinks they know, but I, I, I bet you they don't.
1: <laughs> Look, um, let's just say my definition of sales productivity yes. is, is, <clears throat> is anything that helps to sell faster or to sell more. You know, we've we've got this term now. We've had the term sales enablement for a while. Um, it's now it's now migrated to the term sales acceleration, and so we're all looking for ways to speed up our sales process to close the customer more quickly and to have more sales in the same time frame, so that uh, we can we can achieve the growth that we're all looking for, both in terms of revenue and in, in profitability. the um, The sad thing though is that the salespeople are still looking at just the salespeople and the marketing people are still looking at just the marketing people, and and Andy, your own podcast is really a, a testimony to that. In insofar as you've got all these people coming on, looking at how can we accelerate sales, and how can we do this, and and everybody's got a different answer, and everybody's got a different angle on it, and, and it's all you know worthwhile. The the thing that strikes me though is that nobody says how can we get more out of marketing to help sales achieve um, their sales faster, quicker. Better and more effective, and keep the customer happy in the same um, same vein, so that they come back and buy more from us. So oh, you
0: just need to stay tuned because we've got lots of those people coming on the show.
1: Ah, excellent, good. I'm glad to be the first.
0: Actually, you're not, but you you're you're <laughs> you're a part of a series of people that are that are going to be on the show, talk specifically about sales and marketing and how do they work better together. We've had uh, Joe Polizzi from the uh, Founder of the Content Marketing Institute, uh, Arthur Albi, We've had a number of people.
1: Yeah, I I went to a um to a conference in America a couple of years ago, and there, there were all sorts of booths there and people offering their the different wares, ranging from coaching to um, messaging to various times various uh, kinds of um, technology, and each of them. Probably not surprisingly, I suppose, but each of them was promoting their particular offer as the panacea to bringing sales and marketing together.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, if that existed, it would have happened a long time ago. I mean, it's, it's uh, become almost b- biblical in nature. But uh, so, getting back to the question about productivity, so I, I sort, of, sort of agree. I mean, I think that to me, I mean, sales productivity needs to be measured in the same way productivity is measured. So what's productivity I mean how's productivity measured productivity is measured as a unit of output for a certain investment of input right
1: yeah or period of time yeah. right
0: or period of time so who measures sales that way so really if that's the case this is the measure of ultimate measure of sales productivity is what are the dollars or whatever denomination of money you have but well, we'll go with dollars since we both talk dollars um, you know what's the what's the number of dollars you produce per let's say hour of selling time
1: yeah, or, or per month or per quarter. You know. Well, I think it has to
0: be very finite, right? I mean, so because a lot happens, you're unlikely to get an uninterrupted week or uninterrupted month of selling time, but you'll get one hour of selling time from somebody. And so if you can really understand how many hours it takes an investment of a salesperson's time or sales people, sales team that are devoted to a particular account, how many of the hours of their time takes them to get the prospect from the point they first engage with them to the time they, they get an order or they lose an order, they get a decision. But hopefully they win that order. So what is that, what is that unit of productivity? And I think if we can say, look, gosh, let's, let's look at that and then say, let's apply marketing, as you want to talk about here, is, you know How do we apply marketing? To, and there's lots of ways, as you'll tell us, is to make sales more productive, to make that, yeah, sell more faster. In essence, but really, it's not as much faster as much as the unit of time. Then that's a great, a great outcome. So, definitely excited to hear hear about that from what you're going to talk about. Um, so, what are the, sort of the top sales challenges that marketing can help with?
1: Okay, so there's sales challenges and there's marketing challenges. the the My definition for marketing. So let's start at the basics. My mm-hmm. definition for marketing is to create an environment where sales can occur. Okay, So that means that marketing is, is there to, to create a brand that people are drawn to, to promote the thought leadership that uh, we are offering so that uh, buyers can become interested in, in our services, products or offerings and direct the interested parties to, towards the sales team for them then to move the, 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 the act to the pointy end of transaction. So if, if, you, if you imagine a, an upside down triangle or, you know, the traditional funnel, then sales is really there to to attract the buyers to us and, so, um, sorry, marketing is there to, to attract the buyers to us and sales is there to take them over and then lead them to the pointy end of transaction where money then drops off and we got a customer. So that's that's my definition for, for sales and, and marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if, if you look at that, um, that's not a homo- homogenous process because... There's all sorts of um, aspects that are, that sort of sit in the grey area between sales and marketing that that come into play, and then there's the other thing that um, that uh, is in the era of the buyer's journey, um, that where, whereby the buyer is now in charge of promote of of um, accelerating the process or slowing it down depending on what they how they feel, and because um, there is. Um, there's a lady uh, uh, at Gardner, um, Bova, what's her first Tiffany name? Tiffany Bova. Tiffany Bova, that's right. She, she gave a great speech in San Francisco um, at Sales 2.0 where I spoke as well. And she, she was basically flooring all the sales managers in, in the auditorium because she was saying um, forecasting is dead. You know, And, and, and her, her premise was forecasting is dead because the buyer decides when they want to buy and you can't predict that they can they can stop the, the there's no linear sales process any longer they can dip in they can dip out they can choose to just take a break they can choose to go back and forth within the sales uh, process so so the old process does no longer apply and it's now the buyer's journey and they're in charge and therefore you can't uh, you can't forecast your but sales
0: that's you always know. been the case <laughs> and i mean why 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 do we think this was a mystery to or a re- revelation to sales managers in that room that they think that they ever had control over the customer buying. I mean, this is one of the things that's, that's throughout the length of my career that's longer than most people <laughs> that, yeah, the, and I've sold everything from very small stuff to complex communication systems worth tens of millions of dollars, and almost never did the customer you know, make that decision to buy in front of us, right? They were on their own. They were on their own time frame, and it was—it's ever been thus. Why? Why do you think that was such a surprise?
1: Well, in the in the traditional, in the days of the traditional sales cycle, we used to think that there was the salesperson that was in charge of driving the sale forward, and that they would smooth the waters for the customer to, to walk through and, and purchase. And and that's why sales forecasting became so prevalent and and yeah you know, a standard way of operating.
0: That's why discounting became prevalent.
1: Uh look, the, the, we we can talk about this forever because I'm a i have a lot to say about the end of quarter, end of month. Um, right.
0: Well, but, I mean that's 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 why discounting became so prevalent is that and, you know and we had to make a forecast and we for trained that. the customers to expect it. Of
1: course. Exactly. Exactly. We've wait, we've trained the customer to expect that and 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 aim for that now and 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 basically, we now have sales that last. Um, you know. Um, I'm, I'm talking about discounting sales that uh, last 365 uh, dollars, days a year. You know, you can you can walk into any midtown uh, um, shopping center and you find the, a permanent for sale sign up there. You know, so spring sale, mid season sale, end of season sale. <laughs> it's all it's all an, an eternal sale now. So but,
0: I didn't mean to get distracted on that, but and digress on that. But so. Yeah. So let's get back to yeah. You define the sort of the relevant roles and respective roles of sales, marketing, in the in the funnel. Um, It seems to me that, that one place where marketing really makes that huge contribution is, hopefully, collaborating with sales to come up with with what that buyer's journey looks like, starting with defining who it is they're selling to.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: So take us through that process. How do you get them to start working together to? Defines sort of a common journey for the buyer.
1: Okay, so so the, the the key word there is is working together, you know, and and what I've seen in many organisations is that marketing comes up and says, okay, we're we're marketing to this um, target segment, and therefore this product should suit them, and we have these messages that we're going out with, and that should attract the buyer to us. In in the meanwhile the salespeople have a different experience and a different slant on the same thing and they, they put out their own messaging that they think will work better for them and you end up with this uh, disjointed message. So you're absolutely right, Andy, that we need to align our messaging between the marketing messages that go out, um, pr- predominantly on the internet and on um, and through the website, um, now increasingly through our social media, and the messaging that the customer hears once they make contact with a, with a living, breathing human being that their messaging is consistent and absolutely in line with what the customer read on on the internet and throughout their buyer's journey.
0: Which we know Um, oftentimes isn't.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So So, So the question then is how do we do that? Right. Right. And and this is where, where the one team method says, well, let's start with the people working out if necessary, that working together is a good idea. So you say marketing, what's in it for you if you work with sales? sales, what's in it for you if you work with marketing. It's not a matter of the CEO saying, guys, just work it out and get the CRM package and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. It, it's a matter of them actually sitting together and saying, how can ha- sales help marketing to do better? And how can marketing help, help sales to do better? So once you've, you've crossed that, that uh, challenge of why should we work together in the first place? Because I tell you what, there's a lot, there's a, a, a huge chasm between sales and marketing in some organizations where marketing is just seen as the events and brochure people.
0: And, uh, or the and Antichrist, s-
1: <laughs> and vice versa.
0: Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sales is the devil for sure. So, so, so I, well, so we got one, one, sort of key question here. I want to address, then we're we'll go take a short break. So, that you know, that come together mm-hmm. between sales and marketing. Let's say a CEO says, you know, hey, we need this to happen. This is a priority. Okay. And there has to be a facilitated meeting of some sort, right? How do you how do you set that agenda for what that meeting is? Who runs that meeting? Because yeah, you know, left to their own devices, you know, people come into a room and you know, be like the two Koreas negotiating, right? So so what's what's going to happen? You know, who's going to make something happen? Who's going to be the driver for that process to make this collaboration start to happen?
1: Okay, so this is where the one team method is um, is quite clever in so far as it takes us away from an environment of finger pointing and saying it's your fault, marketing, because you're not giving us good leads, and it's your fault, salespeople, because you're not following them up. There is actually a, a methodology that asks intelligent, constructive questions of both teams and says, why don't you do these things? You know, and and it's a it's a very so subtle the question
0: giving example the questions that
1: are asked. Okay, well, um, so one one example would be. Do you have um, an intermediator between sales and marketing to make sure that uh, the communication exists on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, and is should. there a central, is could, there a central repository for your salespeople to, to find all the marketing collateral that they need when they need it, in the right place at the right time? It, not, not some black hole sheds folder where, where everything goes in and nothing comes out, mm-hmm. um, but actually a, a useful tool. You know? does, does sales have a good idea, good understanding of the marketing objectives? Does, does marketing have a good understanding of the sales objectives? You know, it's, it's, it's very straightforward, simple questions like that, that are designed to create a dialogue and and to, to actually want people to say, Hmm, we don't have that. Why don't we have that? You know, it's, it's just a conversation starter, but it's, it's one that, that gets you away from that finger pointing and and makes it about what, how can we do better rather than why we're doing so poorly.
0: Okay. Well, I want to come back and dig into that just a little bit more. So we're going to come back after our break, talk with my guests, Peter Strokorb, and we're talking about sales marketing collaboration, not alignment, but a collaboration to boost sales productivity. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect & Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect & Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Okay, I'm back with my guest Joining us from Sydney, Australia, Peter Strokorb. Um, yeah, you because know, I'm fascinated because I want to get have people get a sense that are listening to this is is really some of the you know a takeaway, some actionable takeaways they can start applying. Is there because this is a you know very important topic, and you've defined it appropriately as you know we're not aligning, we're collaborating to achieve really common objectives, not necessarily. Not necessarily our mutual objective or our respective objectives, but I mean our, our shared objectives. So like I said, when they're meeting, who's 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 got the helm?
1: Well, this this is it. We we don't actually want somebody to to take the helm. The CEO doesn't have time to look after it. If you make if you put either the sales put the sales head or the marketing head in charge, it's it's not gonna lead to a good outcome. The best way to do it is to ha- appoint an independent body to come in as as a neutral entity, you know, a I, I joke that we come in as Switzerland, you know, and and we um.
0: So you're saying yourself?
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Okay. So, we, so we, we come in. So as hire a neutral Peter. Entity.
0: Sorry. Hire Peter to come in.
1: Yes, that's right. But um, but we. But that's we my that my point. We
0: have a facilitator though. There's something that facilitates this this meeting.
1: Yes, that's right. And and we start off, you know, with um something very simple, non disruptive. Non, you know, blame-free and and that is just asking some simple questions of the the salespeople and the marketing people in an anonymous online survey. And it's particular, it's purposely um, anonymous because we want people to speak out what they really think without getting into trouble for doing so. so okay, good. So, and, and, and that's done online so we can do that anywhere in the world and it, it doesn't really matter whether you're in Sydney or in, in, in uh, Timbuktu. Or in New York, it's, uh, it can be done you know, anywhere in the world. The, the to fill in the survey only takes on average eight minutes, so it's not going to take a salesperson away from their day job, and it gives us really deep insight into the closeness or otherwise between sales and marketing, and also addresses some uh, allows people to address some specific issues that they have anonymously. Now that is usually just a um, a, a quick exercise and. Included in that exercise is a is a review of the findings with the executive team. So we can actually play back to them. This is what your people said. And here's where we see the, the quick win opportunities. And here's where we see the gaps and the, and the bigger challenges. And here's a plan on, on how you can overcome it. And by the way, here's an um, ROI estimation of what's in it for you if you actually do this. Right. So so um, anybody can go to the peterstruckupconsulting.com website under the tab, what's in it for me. There are two online calculators that you can do anytime yourself. Doesn't take a long time. You don't have to leave your email address. You don't have to leave any contact details. You won't be spammed and you won't be followed up. But in your own time, you can go and have a look at what's in it for me in terms of the financial benefits. And the second one is how badly or how well are our sales and marketing teams collaborating in my organization according to me today.
0: So with the ROI calculator, so what are the bases? What are the factors that that you're looking at that generate an ROI for a company in investing in this methodology?
1: Yeah. So, so the ultimate outcome is that we accelerate sales, that we increase the sales productivity, and how do you measure that? Well, you say if we can have X percent of more sales, or x percent faster sales or x percent more um, revenue because of we're selling faster better sooner then what does it mean to our top line and what does it mean to our bottom line and what does it mean to the commission of the individual sales rep so it's it's a simple it's, it's a relatively simple and straightforward formula that basically says if we have x revenue today at x margin and with x number of salespeople. If we tweak that and we move move the dial by just a few percentage points, so the the, the standard um, is is five percent. So we're not even talking about ten, twenty, thirty percent. We're just saying just by five percent, what difference will it make to my organisation? And I can input my own numbers and see what the result is. And and I tell you now that um, it's it can be significant, and it's a, it's a real eye opener for people.
0: Well, interesting. That sort of stimulates the question. My mind is is that there are probably are more than one way, though, you could generate that
1: 5%. Absolutely, yes.
0: So, I mean, it's not just necessarily, <laughs> not just necessarily sales, marketing, collaboration. So I guess, I guess the question I'd have for you is, is, what is it that you put in there from the, the benefits and the value they receive from the increased collaboration of sales and marketing that drive that extra
1: 5%? How do we get it? Yes. Okay. So there's, there's a number of ways. Um, let me just give you two examples. One is that all sorts of research shows that, um, I think IDC was the latest one that's saying that uh, less than 30% of a sales rep's time is spent on selling. Okay. So then, then two questions arise. One is, what the hell are they spending the other uh, percentage of their time on? And what would happen if we gave them more time to sell, if we freed up their time for selling? So, just one small example is that, on average, on seventeen percent, one seven, seventeen percent of a sales rep's time is spent on either looking for or modifying marketing content for their presentations and customer proposals and, and, and that sort of thing. Right?
0: Yeah, I've seen a number as high as forty percent for that.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's right. So, on average, it's, it, it's seventeen, according to our research. It, it that may be different in, in different organisations, but but there's no denying that there's a, a fair amount of time by sales reps spent on either looking for or modifying the content that they receive from marketing. And I'm not talking about proposals really, I'm talking about more about presentation material, you know, PowerPoints and stuff where I say, oh, I don't really like what marketing says here. I'll I'll put this other stuff in that I think is gonna be more interesting for the for my client or for my prospect. So imagine a, a scenario now where marketing actually has a good understanding of what the sales reps really need, rather than coming up with a, with a standard template that supports the marketing message but doesn't really support the sales message so if that task of preparing that presentation and to to create something that's actually suitable for for the sales people more broadly if that was left to marketing then that would free up those 17 or as you said 40 percent of a reps time to do more selling and what would that do to your top line and to your bottom line well you could address more prospects. You could uh, get back to, to to more suspects. You could uh, hopefully close more sales. So in, in any case, it would free up the sales reps time to do more selling if marketing supported sales and took away those tasks that marketing could actually do for sales rather than sales doing instead of marketing. That's one example.
0: Let me, let me ask you a question about that because, and I'm not necessarily doubting it, but I've sort of a, a different question is: Is you know, if you do free up more time for salespeople, do they really devote that to selling? I mean, you've been a salesperson; I've been a salesperson. Um, the number really hasn't changed substantially. I don't think over a period of time, even before technology existed in sales the way it did today, does today. Is that it seems like there's just sort of this level that that sales reps get to, and you know, it's not necessarily sales development reps, which have to make you know met, have metrics for you know 50 yeah. contacts a day and so on. But yeah. mm-hmm. but you know, the account execs, account managers, boy, I just don't see that 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 number changes a lot based on suddenly we're making information much more readily available to them. They don't have to modify. I still think there'll be other reasons why they don't end up selling. What do you think?
1: Well, I, I think if if that's true, then then all the other sales acceleration products and uh, services that are on the market are all in vain because we we, we, we must have hit a, um, an, a, a an invariable threshold at which we can't accelerate any further. And I don't, I don't frankly, I don't believe that. I, I think that um, what's happening now is the salespeople are under pressure like they've never been before. The uh, the demands on them are increasing. The uh, the sales quotas are going up. And they just don't. One thing that's not going up is the um, the time that's available to them to actually devote to creating those sales outcomes. So so anything that we can do to free up their time to actually um, spend on their core on their core tasks of of selling and being in touch with the customer and promoting the uh, the organisation will will lead to a positive outcome. The the, obviously it's up to the individual sales rep. If, if I'm a lazy sales rep and I'd rather go and, um, and finish work early because I've got more time, then that's that's one thing. But if I have a target to make and I've not hit my quota yet and I'm under pressure to perform, gee, do I really want more time available to do that?
0: Well, I think the question is, would more time help in that environment? So that's why I said early on, I think sales productivity is, if you really want understand sales productivity it's really an issue of productivity let's say well, i'll do it per hour that's how i measure it is per hour because then even if they never sell more than 30% of their time is devoted to selling if i can make that 30% more productive something else something's always going to come up to distract people so i think the me personally and this is what i work with teams on is and i've written about is we want to get that productivity per hour up because we know it may it's thirty percent, forty percent. It's just not gonna change substantially. It may change in the margins, but by the same token, same token. The value to the company at the end of the day is isn't gonna be much higher if you have their unit productivity higher versus their sort of spread productivity over a number of units.
1: Yeah, I, I would probably look at it in, in this way. If if I have an extra yeah, seventeen percent is the average that people that the sales people spend on looking for or modifying marketing content. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, seventeen percent. But if you if you just if, one day a week, it's it's one working day a week. Yeah, nearly it's six point five hours, right? And and that's that's substantial. So imagine if I even if I can't accelerate the sales cycle, so the time it takes between making contact with the organization with the target organization and bringing them to a concluded sale, even if I can't reduce the time to do that. By having more time, I can I can engage more clients and prospects. So I can actually put more prospects into the top of the funnel and work on them simultaneously, rather than, than having to wait until I finish one and then do the other. So freeing up more time doesn't necessarily speed up the sales cycle, but it does give me the opportunity to put more, to address more clients and prospects.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's go back to marketing then for a second. So yeah, that's one way they can help. Well, I was
1: just going to give you a second example.
0: Oh, go ahead. I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt.
1: So, so this, the second example is what, what some people have called lifting the middle. So let me explain that. In, in most organizations, you have a sales force where the you know, there's a small band of um, high performers that, um, as we say, bring home the bacon every month. You know, and you can rely on them hitting their targets consistently. There's a, a, a largest middle section of uh, those people that are so so, you know, getting near the targets, but never quite achieving it, but, but doing okay, by and large. And then there's, a, again, a smaller band in the bottom that, uh, you know, of, of lesser performing salespeople where you sometimes think, you know, should we even keep them? And numerically speaking, what, what happens is that a, a lot of organizations really focus on the top 10% of performers and try to get them to increase their productivity to get more out of them. If you look at it rationally, and and, and um, it's very easy to draw a, um, um, to, to look at some mathematic formulas, I can show you that by lifting the middle mediocre performance by just 5% will give you a better return on your investment than if you try to lift the top performance by 10%, even though they're the top performers, simply because of the, their numbers. You know, there's more, there's more scale in the middle. So by having a better understanding of how the marketing team can support the sales force and how the sales force can better support the marketing team, they can work together and lift that productivity of the middle team by just a small percentage points, but it'll make a huge difference to the organization overall.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I think that's a, I think it's a great point. And I think that, yeah, a way for, for people to look at that in addition another perspective is to say, yeah, I mean, your, your marginal return on investment on people that are near the peak of their productivity is just logically is going to be you know set aside the math for a second because the math works to support what you say, yes. but just from a logic standpoint, you know your odds of getting another ten percent improvement out of people already performing at a hundred percent, let's say much less than your odds of getting five percent of improvement out of people that are operating at seventy five or eighty percent
1: yeah that, there's a there's human cost as well. Because if, if you really harass the, the top performers to do better, they, they may just exercise their choice and, and go somewhere else.
0: Well, you think so. with top performers, you're not really harassing them. I mean, they're, you have to assume the top performers, to some degree, are top because they are self-inspired, self-motivated, and mm-hmm. you know, aren't putting any limits on their, their actions anyway. That's what I'm saying, that, that, that investing more in them is unlikely to produce as big a return because they're already maxing... Not maxing, but operating closer to max capacity.
1: Yeah, and you get, a, you get a much better result overall by trying to lift the middle than trying to get the top performing even better.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so that's where some of the things you talked about, some solutions with the collaboration with marketing really okay. come into play.
1: Okay. Now, now, now talking about something commonsensical, may I just point, point something out as well? Sure. So often we have the marketing team sitting together in head office you know, sort of clumping together, as I call it, <laughs> and de- dealing dealing with a um, distributed uh, sales force. So we've got the salespeople in different uh, states and um, sometimes in different countries, and they're they're not always sitting at head office. Whereas the the traditionally the marketing team sitting at head office, you know, clumping together, as I said, that that alone creates this sort of us and them type attitude. You know, what would they know? You know, and The really good way to overcome that is by actually empowering the sales force to be the eyes and ears of the marketing team. What do I mean by that? Well, marketing is putting out messages through, you know, online and the website and social media and and all those sort of media. But they don't really know how it uh, resonates with their intended target audience, whereas the salespeople are at the front line and they talk to the customers all the time and they can say, well, look, this. This piece of collateral you gave us, this this messaging that you gave us, um, this this campaign that you gave us works really well, except for dot dot dot. So if the sales force can be empowered to critique the output that they're receiving from marketing, not to criticize but to critique in a constructive way, then marketing can get that feedback from, you know, not just the more vocal sales rep, shall we call them. But from the the entire sales force, more broadly speaking, they can make a much better informed decision on how to better support the sales force. So, in this way, the sales force can support marketing to keep them informed what works and what doesn't work, and how things can be done better in a constructive way. And marketing can take that information and turn that around to sales and say, "Thanks for the information, guys. Here's what we've done with it, and here's the new campaign, or here's the new slogan, or here's the new brochure, whatever it is." And that we create what I call a virtuous cycle of uh, collaboration.
0: I love the virtuous cycle.
1: Yeah, we stop the finger pointing. We just go, guys, how can we help you to help us?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that uh, it almost gets back to that initial meeting as you have to have buy-in on both sides that, that they're really, as much as they have sort of respective objectives in terms of their individual work, in terms of sales and generating number of leads and and so on, on the marketing side, is they have a common objective, which is that customer. Yeah. And that common objective has to be served and you have to start the conversation, build some trust, get them to know you, like you, trust you, so that when the salesperson does engage with them, they're in the midst of a conversation that they can continue and take to its end point.
1: That's right. It needs to be consistent.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, good. Well, we're unfortunately running out of time, so we're going to move to the last segment of the show. That's great great information. We'll give you a chance here to tell people how to find your book. Yes. But uh, before we do, it's got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario right. that I pose. I put you here, the hero of this story, is you've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have sort of stalled out for a second. They're a little bit stuck in the mud. They don't know where to go looking for you for direction to turn things around. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: Okay. So what I find consistently is that there's plenty of ideas. If, sorry, sorry again. If we have problems in an organization, what I consistently find is that there's plenty of ideas hiding within the organization on how to overcome them, but they're not, not being brought out. And one thing that the one team method does is it gives everybody a voice And I tell you now that the often the the meekest people, the ones that are not in head office, the ones that are in some regional branch office, often have the best ideas on how to overcome a particular problem, but they just don't feel empowered to speak out. Mm -hmm. And just simply asking them their opinion actually frees them up to say, okay, here's what I think, blah, right? (laughs) And, and, And it's amazing what nuggets of gold you uncover when you actually ask them. You know, so so the first, one of the first things I would do is go around and say what ideas have you got that uh, nobody's been listening to you know, ever. The, the second thing I would do is to stop focusing on how can I get my guys more training, how can I make them more effective through you know, technology, how can I get, you know, do, do whatever this, the standard answer is and say what support mechanisms are there available to help my guys do better and what customer insights do we have that actually help us to make that decision. Because the, the, the second thing that I always find, is, and, and disappoints me time and time again, is that organisations seem to think that running surveys gives them a voice of the customer. But you think about it, surveys get answered by people who feel like answering. So they, they are what I call the vocal minority. And they're not always representative of the entire s- sample of, um, of customers. So the one way to do to get the truth out of the customer is to actually not have them asked by the account manager or the, the, the business development manager, but, but by a, a neutral entity, not on, a, um, on an online survey, but actually in a face to face conversation with them in an in interview style mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. Say, to say, what did you like? What don't you like? What do competitors do that you really like um, would like us to do as well? and what what are some things that really annoy us when we do them to you you know and and again by bringing in a neutral entity that gives them anonymity anonymity anonymity, anonymity, anonymity thank you um that um, really helps them to speak freely what they really think and you get the true picture and again just like asking the Mika people in the organization asking customers anonymously brings out nuggets of gold and you you hear them say things that you've never heard them say before directly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think that's a a great suggestion for people is as much as the online tools are quick and dirty uh, in terms of doing surveys, if you really want to know either, yeah, you're going to go out and meet people yourselves or use a third party, as you said, that is accustomed and skilled at asking questions of customers that but actually, customers, I find, and I've used this type of approach before, is customers really uh, respond to it because it gives them a chance to talk about themselves, right? So they want to show their expertise, their their wisdom, their knowledge, and they really appreciate being asked.
1: Yeah, that's right. They want to voice their opinion. And, and I'll tell you what, we've um, more than once rescued an, an at-risk account simply by having been brought in and asking the customer what they think, their opinion, you know? So the customer says, oh, you do
0: care, you know? Fantastic. Surprising, right? Yeah, you actually do like me.
1: All right.
0: (laughs) right, Well, I've got (laughs) some final questions for you here. I've got some rapid fire questions. Give me one word answers. You can elaborate a little bit if you wish. The first one is, when you're selling, you yourself are selling, what's your most powerful sales asset?
1: My most powerful sales asset is that I I create an environment where there's um, no pressure. Now, this may be totally unorthodox, but I, I try to remove this this usual dance whereby you, uh, you as the buyer try to hide from me how willing you are to buy and what you're really looking for and I push you towards a sale that that's that's not really in this day and age. just not really a, a, a fantastic um, way of going about things so the first thing I do is i I, I try to strike a um, um, an upfront contract as I call it and and the upfront contract is you will tell me the truth and I won't push you Right. So so the, the idea is that um, we've become partners in this, whereby I can help you to make an informed decision, and then you may go with my offer or not, if it makes sense. But there's no point in me pressuring you to close the deal by the end of the week, by the end of the month, or by the end of the quarter. And for you, there's no point um, dancing around forever trying to hide things from me in order to ex- extract additional information, whereas if I can offer you value and you can make a free decision in terms of whether that value is, is the right type of value for you and you want to move forward to a mm-hmm. transaction, we, we, can, we can actually act together as partners. I help you to make an informed decision. That's it.
0: Okay. So, next question. Who's your sales role model?
1: Okay. So, I, I used to be a big fan of Neil Reckon. You know, I really liked the idea of spin selling and talking about solving problems. Now, time has moved on a bit and there's now all these other things that, you know, like the, the challenger sale, the disruptive sale, the provocative sale, you know, and, and you know, content marketing has come in. But, but I think essentially people still buy from people, um, certainly in B2B and certainly in, in, in um, the more complex sales, because I'm not just buying a pencil for, for, for five cents and then, you know, never right. seeing you I'm actually buying a relationship that may last several years, so I want to know exactly who I'm dealing with and what will happen if things go wrong and can I rely on you. So your solution may be the best solution, but if I don't like you as a person, I may not buy from you. So the, the, the important thing is that we find out what the customer really needs and then present them the, the ideal solution, including the interhuman relationship that they will buy once they they purchase from us.
0: So the answer to who your sales role model is, Neil Rackham?
1: Well, uh, Neil came up with the, well,
0: Two words, give me somebody's name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it's not Jack Welch, but <laughs> so.
0: Alright, let me go to the next one then. What Besides your own book, what's one book that every salesperson should read?
1: I think I think read the Challenger Sale. It, even even though there's a lot of um, hyperbole in there, at least my opinion, and and quite a few oversimplifications. If you don't look at it as a sales methodology, but if you look at it as a go to market model, it's actually quite valuable. Okay, and it, and it helps you to think about things differently.
0: All right. So tough question. What's music is on your playlist right now?
1: Uh, so. I'm, I'm a child of the 70s, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an old-timer when it comes to music. I, I like sort of mainstream rock bands like you know, Kiss and ZZ Top and those guys, mm-hmm. much to the dismay of my wife who, who likes much more contemporary music. And, and, and my kids um, you know, say it's daddy music as well. You know. <laughs> Kiss is answer. daddy
0: music. There you go.
1: And, so it's, it's, not a, and it's not a compliment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Alright, so last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople?
1: How can I hit my targets?
0: And the answer is, in 20 words or less, the answer is?
1: The one-team method. All right,
0: there we go. All right, Peter, I want to thank you for being on the show. My guest has been Peter Strokorb. Tell folks how they can find out more about you.
1: Well, the easiest way is to go to the website. So that's peterstrohkorbconsulting.com. I would encourage you to go to the What's In It For Me tab and to have a look at those calculators. There's all sorts of um, other material on the website, just to knock yourself out. We've even got a section there, especially for marketers, and another section there, especially for salespeople, just to inform each of them what's in it for them and to get the conversation started.
0: Great. And all that information will be on the show notes page on my website, andypaul.com, if uh, you want to get the details. So, Peter, again, thank you for being on the show.
1: Andy, it was a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, well it's great to have you. So remember, friends, make it a part of your day, every day, to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. The easy way to do that is to make accelerate this podcast a part of your daily routine. Listen it to it first thing in the morning on your commute in the gym or make it a part of your morning sales huddle once you get into the office. Because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Peter Strokorb, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.